This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we are uh, studying the book of 1 Corinthians, and if you're uh, here for the first time, uh, we're, gonna, we're continuing a study of this book. I, I think you'll have no trouble catching up with where we are today. But uh, after so much, we've heard so much about what uh, God wanted this church in Corinth to know. And uh, today, as we jump into chapter 14, uh, he, Paul's going to address some specifics. He's, he begins to kind of apply some of these things to the church in Corinth, and it's going to uh, resonate with us too. If you know the story at all, you know that Paul, when he was on his second missionary journey, he traveled through the city of Corinth, and while he was there, he shared the gospel. And people came to faith, and he planted and, 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 and founded the church in Corinth. Sometime later, uh, actually while working toward his third missionary journey, he, he starts getting reports back about this church. Uh, they've written him with questions, as well as he's hearing from others who've been there. And there are a number of things that need to be corrected in the church, and there's a number of questions they've asked, and so he writes them. But if I were pressed to try to kind of encapsulize encapsulize the, the problem in Corinth, I think maybe it would be fair to say that as a church, they were allowing the culture around them to seep into their church life far too much. See, they lived in an affluent, culturally diverse, somewhat uh, self-centered culture. In their culture, they had been taught that a person has value only under certain circumstances. A person has value when they have a position. They have value when they have power. They have value when they have possessions. And so the culture around them was involved in looking, looking at ways to achieve, to, to secure those things so that they had a sense of personal worth and value. And that had seeped into the church. And the, the, the members of this church were consumed with extracting value and creating value for themselves by looking to achieve and to fill positions of authority and power, to, to, to exercise power and to demonstrate their affluence through their prosperity. One of the ways they could do this in church was to leverage things like spiritual gifts. It's a spiritual thing, but I could still have power. I could still have a position. I could still have prosperity. I could, and we could do that by demonstrating that I have gifts that are better than someone else's, that are more powerful, that are more demonstrative, that are more impressive and supernatural. And so the irony here is that God gave spiritual gifts to the church so that everyone would have an important role to play and that together the work would be done. And instead, those very same gifts, because of the way that they were being used, selfishly to extract value, those very same gifts were actually causing division and animosity. There were winners and losers in the church. So Corinth was leveraging these spiritual gifts to achieve power and position and prosperity. And Paul's going to address that directly today. The first thing he's going to talk about is kind of surprising. He's going to compare or contrast the gift of tongues with the gift of prophecy. And he's going to point out, first of all, that one of them has greater value than the other. Let's read the passage. If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there's probably a blue hardcover Bible there on a chair next to you, and we'll, we'll project it as well. And as we read God's Word, let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we have to pause and acknowledge that you knew this Corinthian church well. You knew every heart. You know every name. Each player in the life of that church. You, knew, you know to whom Paul was writing. You know those ones that were correctable and those that weren't. 
And we believe that as Paul wrote these things, you intended them for our growth as well. That's why they're here. It's part of the scriptures. And so, Lord, we ask you to do what only you can do, which is to help us, though we are not there and we are not then, to hear from you. So that not only would the church in Corinth be strengthened, but the church at Crossroads would be strengthened. In the end, we only want one thing, and that is to bring you glory. May my words be your words, so that these, your people, are conformed to your image. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14.1, we read this. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spirits or spiritual gifts, especially the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, you remember that in chapter 12, Paul made several lists of some of the spiritual gifts. We noticed that none of the lists seemed complete. They didn't match. Both lists seemed to be a sampling of the kinds of gifts, the kinds of spiritual abilities God gives his people to do the work of the ministry. So he's pretty extensive in that in chapter 12. And then at the end of 12, as he moved into chapter 13, we went into the love chapter. A couple of you have said to me already, hey, you were right. I went into this building or I went into this room. I went and did this and there was a plaque, you know, and it was a quote from 1 Corinthians 13. It's everywhere. How ironic that it was written to a dysfunctional, backbiting, fighting church. So in that chapter, Paul tried to communicate really one thing, and that is that there is, there is a supremacy to love, that all of these other activities and all these other gifts have to be done for one unifying purpose, motivated from a heart of love. Well, Paul picks up on that very theme now in this verse, and he says, so follow the way of love. He's referring to what he laid out in chapter 13. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. You see... It would be possible for someone to read the book of, I mean, the chap, chapter 13 and see the, the problem. It, gee, these gifts are worthless without love, so let's forget those gifts and just love. Paul's pretty clear to say, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying jettison these gifts. These gifts are important. They're a beautiful way to reflect the character of God. He says, do both. Pursue the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, actually, that's kind of surprising. Because if you remember right, back in chapter 12, it seemed like all Paul kept saying was that there was no good, better, best gift. That was the problem. Some thought they had better gifts, and because of that, they were more spiritual, and others had lower gifts. And did, wasn't he saying that there aren't better gifts? And now it, he seems to be saying there are. I heard the story this week about three pastors, not pastors, but Christians, and uh, during the, the French Revolution, and they were all three arrested, and uh, they were all sentenced to death by beheading. Now, these three Christians, uh, one of them had the gift of faith, and the second one had the gift of prophecy, and the third one had the gift of helps. Well, the, the Christian with the gift of faith, he volunteered to go first. And he walked up boldly to that guillotine, and uh, they said, uh, do you want a hood? He goes, I'm not afraid. I believe, I have the faith that God is going to protect and spare my life. So he just puts his head down in that trough, and he's talking to God, praising him, even as the executioner pulls the rope. And the thing won't drop. And they try and they try. Then there's a rumbling amongst the guards. And somebody says, uh, I don't know what's going on, dude, but, you know, I think he gets a pass. And so he gets up and walks away. And they go get the second Christian, the one with the gift of prophecy. They say, well, do you want a hood? He says, I'm not afraid. In fact... I know what's going to happen next. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next. You, just like my brother, you're going to try to take my life, and God will not allow it. He will protect me. Guys are kind of wondered now. So they put this guy down. He puts his head in the thing. They got, now the executioner, you know how it goes. He pulls the thing, and nothing happens. And now the guys are just rattled to their core. And he gets up. They say, you know, 
If God's on his side, let's not push this point. So they bring in the third question with the gift of helps. And they said, do you want a hood? He goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm as brave as those guys. Yeah, sure. He says, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, okay. So he put his head in and he goes, uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to die. Hey, but I do see the problem with your guillotine. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So all the gifts may be equal, but some are better used in some places than others. Especially prophecy. Why would he single out one gift over another? Well, there are several things that we're going to see, I think. And some of you already know that this gift, this church, had favorites of their own. You know, think about it for a second. If you were going to leverage... If you're going to leverage a spiritual gift to show yourself to be spiritual, which ones would you use? Well, first of all, it makes sense that you'd use the ones that are more supernatural. Okay? Well, it's kind of hard to say, you know, wow, I've got the gift of helps. I brought my wrenches. You know, it's not, it's not going to make a big impact. Even, even some of the, the, the gifts in terms of prayer and those kind of things, it's kind of, it, it's not very demonstrative. Oh, you go for the big ones for prophecy or tongues or healing or miracles, those are the ones that you want to leverage if you're trying to improve your rep at church. But now, if you're not sure which of those more supernatural gifts to use, some of them are more prob- problematic than others. For instance, the gift of miracles. First of all, if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to use these gifts for your own sake, it makes us wonder whether it's authentic or not. But if you, if, you, if you want to try to impress people with miracles, there's a problem. Because if you say, turn this water cooler into a wine cooler. <laughs> and then they push the button and still water coming out. See, it's, it's a funny thing about the gift of miracles. It's, it's, it's not hard to test. It's kind of hard to fake. I guess same thing with healing, Right? You know, you're healed. I don't know if you, many of you know I hurt my neck. Boy, if anybody has that gift, please come see me after the service. Um, but you say, you're healed. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. It's kind of hard to fake some of those. If you were going to be sly and, self, and self-seeking, you would pick one that was a little bit harder to test. And I think... Gifts like tongues or gifts like prophecy fit into that category. It, was, it wasn't impossible, but it was a little bit harder to test, a little bit easier to pull off if you were faking it. And because of their motivation, it's easy to believe that some of them were faking it. So tongues and prophecy were some of their favorites, and I think that's why Paul's picking on them. He says, especially prophecy. He goes on. Verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, we've got to get something straight. Tongues and prophecy are not in competition with each other. What Paul's saying is they each have a purpose and a role. Kind of seems like he has a favorite just like them, though. I think what we have to understand is he's not trying to pick out a favorite gift. He's trying to pick out God's favorite motive. And what he says is the gifts to use are the ones that you believe will edify the church the most. So... Tongues, we, we know what tongues, we saw tongues occur in Acts 2 when the disciples shared the gospel and others who were listening heard it in languages that they grew up with, even though the disciples hadn't learned or been trained that language. And we see how God used that to give credibility to the message and to, to basically get those people's attention. In the book of Corinthians, Paul seems to talk about tongues that, that are other expressions as well, not simply being able to speak languages you never learned. He, he talks, he's going to talk today about uh, using tongues that we ourselves don't understand 
or using tongues in prayer. And we're going we're to talk about those things. When he talks about prophecy, there are a couple of flavors of prophecy as well. We've got the Old Testament prophets. These are people who spoke God's revelation and foretold the future of God's plan. In the New Testament, the apostles spoke God's revelation and could predict or tell the future. It seems as though that, that role of um, giving divine revelation ended with the apostles. But it doesn't mean the gift of prophecy ended. Because also included in the gift of prophecy is this idea of forthtelling, sharing and preaching and applying the word of God, his revelation, to his people and to specific situations. So the point is simply that tongues and prophecy both had a role in the church. But he says, one has a greater value because of its purpose. It edifies the church. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Greater than? I mean, again, we're struggling. He was just telling them that no one is better than someone else, and now he seems to be saying someone's better. What does he mean, uh, you're better? It seems like he's kind of walking back his own statements. I think he answers it in the next passage. He says, verse 6, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or a word of instruction. I think that's what he means when he says, one is the one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues. This is what he means. Greater good to you. Not greater value, more spiritual, God's chosen, nothing like that. I think what he's defining is one of them is going to benefit you far more than another. It's pretty pragmatic. If I don't know what in the world you're saying, it's kind of hard for me to be encouraged. Have you ever been someplace where somebody was speaking or singing a song in a different language? We even did that here. We, we had the little Korean choir, and mostly they sang in English. They did a song in Korean. That's neat. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> if it's a tune we recognize, we know, oh, that's the hymn. All that gibberish, that means that those words I know. But unless you know that, it's hard to even say when they're done. You know, you're not even sure. Should I say, amen? <laughs> I don't know what they said. That's what Paul's saying. See, there's a value. There's a greater value. There's something that has more value than something else when it comes to gifting. And the value is edification, building up the church. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. With the interpretation, then you had content and then church, the church could be edified, built up, encouraged. That was the, the, the priority. Yes, there is a greater value placed. He also says when he talks about tongues and prophecy that there's a greater, uh, there's a value of clarity. It's not just enough to understand, but we have to understand clearly. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what the tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for the battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking to the air. We all understand this. Um, I enjoy playing guitar, and I thought my two-year-old granddaughter would enjoy playing the guitar. So we got it out. Oh, look what Papa has. And I play, and she stood there. Wow. You want to do it? Uh-huh. Right? And you just, oh, oh, oh. You ever listen to kids on a piano? You have a piano in, here, in your house? Little kids? I'm sorry. <laughs> Right? Yeah, it, not, not even close to music. It's not pleasant at all. That's the point. It has value when somebody knows how to make those notes distinct. What he's saying is simple. Clarity has value. He goes on. He says, Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages. Uh, let's back up for a second. When, 
There we go. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning, as long as somebody knows what, how to speak the language. If I don't grasp the meaning of what someone's saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. The speaker's a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit. Were they eager for gifts? Yeah. Were their motives suspect? Yeah. So is there a little irony here when he says, since you're eager for the spiritual gifts, whatever the, whatever the motivation, try to excel in those that build up the church. You know what? This is another problem. They're eager for spiritual gifts. That's good. Try to excel in those that build up the church. Didn't we learn that it's the Spirit that gives the gifts? So what good does it do to try to excel in gifts when it's the Spirit who gives them? I have no idea. I'm hoping somebody here does. No. First of all, I want us to remember that he is writing to a body of believers. And he's writing to them about what they value corporately. So the first thing that's true of this is that in our group, we would hope that we have most of the gifts. We have all the gifts that God thinks we need. Every church doesn't have to have every gift. It, makes, it sounds nice when we say that, but there's no, nothing in Scripture that says that every church has every gift. You have the gifts that you need. But even though all those gifts are there, it is still possible for us to take this instruction and value the gifts that make the most impact on building up the body. Well, that makes sense. He says, you guys, excel. Pursue those. Make sure you're building up the body. And even to individuals, since we know that believers have more than one gift very often. So I've got several gifts. I've got this kind of little trio of gifts of leadership and uh, evangelism and encouragement and whatever. But when it comes to us, our relationship, there are certain gifts that I exercise much more than others because it benefits you the most. So all he's saying is, hey, since you want to be, you want to excel, instead of excelling at the ones that make you look special, think about excelling at the ones that build up the brothers and sisters in Christ. You are eager. So go ahead and try. You, do you know somebody who, if they could just get eager about the right thing, it would be, it would be life-changing. It's amazing to me how much energy people can pour into something that is just destructive or not helpful at all. If you could put all this neurosis toward Jesus, like, wow, it would be great. Third point. When he's talking about comparing tongues and prophecy, it's not just the greater value or the value of clarity, but the value of mindfulness. And this is kind of challenging. All of you probably think, well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm here. You do realize that one of the biggest challenges in our day is being present. You've watched people driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Internet drivers, right? Yeah, we all know that how hard it is to be present. How many, how many times have you seen entire families out for dinner? Right? We, I can do it. It's just being mindful. It's interesting that he would bring this up. This is what he says in verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what they say. Again, if, if you're going to have this ability to speak in some language that you don't understand, pray that somebody can interpret it. In fact, later he's going to say, and if nobody can interpret it, button it. You don't understand. If, if I have the gift, then I should express it. Mm -mm. No, not really. We're going to get there in a minute. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Huh? Wait, okay, this is a new concept for me. I, I don't have the gift of tongues. So when I pray, generally, I'm aware of what it is I'm praying. I'm thinking that's true of many of you too. But Paul is saying that some who have this ability to pray even in a language that they don't understand, which, frankly, I don't understand. But they do. Apparently, it is possible to pray 
in a way that you're praying and your spirit is engaged and yet your mind is not? Huh. In my case, generally when my mind is not engaged, it hasn't gone well. In fact, generally if my mouth is moving and my mind's not engaged, it doesn't go well. I don't understand exactly this gift because it's, I don't have it. Paul's later going to say, don't forbid it. Okay. I don't have it, so I don't understand it. But I do understand mindfulness, and that's exactly what he's saying. He says, so what should I do? Well, maybe just don't even pray in that tongue at all then. Don't, don't even use that gift at all. Just, just Do you know people in churches who feel that way, act that way? I have. I've acted that way, felt that way. You know what? I don't understand it. It's just weird, so just, just get rid of it. That isn't what Paul says. He goes, so what should I do? Well, I'm going to pray with my spirit. But I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't even know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough but no one else is edified. You know what he's saying? You know what he's saying is, make sure that others can understand too. Apparently, when you speak in a language that's somehow from God, and it could be, it could be quite an experience, encouraging. And what Paul says is simply this. Well, first of all, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Anybody in the room a cessationist, and you always liked to think of Paul as a cessationist too? He says, no such luck. What? Paul spoke in tongues? I've never seen that in the Bible. Why in the world, if Paul says he spoke in tongues more than everybody, why do you suppose he's, it's not recorded anywhere? He says, right there. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What he's saying is, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. You see, in this area of spiritual gifts, and it, it wasn't just true of, of Corinth, it's true of churches today. They engage them and they get all sanctimonious and spiritual on us. But as you watch, sometimes you get the sense that this is more about you than anybody else. It's about your experience. It's about how you're seen. It's about, and I think they're doing the exact same thing as Paul is accusing Corinth. Is like, stop, put others and their building up first. Just a little bit later, Paul's going to say, in fact, where, where is that? And probably me out of, out of order. I dropped it. Anyway. What, what Paul basically says is, uh, if there's not somebody there so that, that can help you make it intelligible, button it. Do what's best for someone else. So, one last point, differing value. Tongues versus prophecy. They're not in competition, but they stand as a good illustration of a difference in value. Here he says, there's even a difference in value to believers and non-believers. Verse 20, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It's a quote from the book of Isaiah. What he's saying is that there is a way to engage with these things that is or is not profitable, even for those who don't know the Lord. Verse 22, tongues then are a sign. Now, this is interesting. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Actually, when we think about it, that was true in Acts, wasn't it? Acts 2 and the other occasions in the book of Acts where tongues were used. They were used as a sign to unbelievers. It, it was to gain their understanding and attention. He says, prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Well, that makes sense, too. You go to Bible study, and you're blessed. You've been growing. 
the guest that you bring who doesn't know the Lord says, what? what in the world are you guys talking about? Verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone's speaking in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you guys are all loony, loony bin, like crazy? Now, some of you have had that experience too. You've shown up and you just thought, this is scary, totally out of control. Listen to his clarification. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and they're brought under, all, uh, brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God really is among you. See, what Paul's saying here is that tongues and prophecy even have an impact on those who don't know the Lord yet. What he's saying is, as we conduct worship, we can either do it in a way that alienates those who don't know the Lord yet. And we say to them, well, tough, because you're not one of us yet. You know, when you're one of us, then it'll make sense. Otherwise, tough. Or there's a way that we can engage in our worship in a way that can also engage them. And so, a person with the gift of tongues, and they, and they have something to share, but if they have the gift of tongues and they can share it in some language that no one understands, or they can share it in English. I, I hear Paul saying, well, then share it in English. Share it in English. I don't have a gift that I pray in other tongues. Some of you do. You've come up and said, hey, I pray for you privately. I, I, can, I have got this gift. I pray for you in these other languages. I say, pray for me. Bring it on. Pray in the Spirit. Great. I, I hope I pray in the Spirit. I just do it in English. Guess what? One is not more, than, more spiritual than the other. It all depends on our giftedness. But the goal is the same, Paul says. It should be to encourage. So let's talk about public worship before we close this up. All this talk about tongues and prophecy and believers coming in and unbelievers being there. Do you get the idea? First of all, their services were different from ours. I don't know if you've ever, anybody here ever been to the Middle East? Been exposed to uh, church? Okay, no, not many. In their services, there probably was not a designated single teacher. So their church services were more like a spiritual potluck. You get together, and everybody brings something to share. What's the Lord taught you? What's the Lord taught you? Hey, I was thinking, let's sing this song. Let's sing that song. Look, I was, the Lord, I was reading, thinking about, and they would share. And so you can understand how if everybody was having input, have you ever, have you ever had somebody behind you just keep talking? You know, there's a time like, like somebody tells a story, and you're like, ha, 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 yeah, that's good. And behind you, they're like, oh, yeah, I had that happen, too, once. Because when we used to live in Altoona, what we used to like, everybody like, stop. Like, and all of a sudden, now, all this discussion, he's going to address order versus chaos. Did you know that it mattered to God? Verse 26, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together as a public worship, and each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the, three, at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. It's not that hard. In fact, you know what I notice about these rules for speaking in tongues? They're the same rules that we use for speaking in English. It's just like your mom taught you. Don't talk with your mouth full. I don't care what language you're speaking. Don't talk with your mouth full. Don't talk when somebody else is talking. Don't interrupt. Show respect. Limit the participation. Have you ever been in a small group where somebody felt like compelled to participate every single time, every question for the entire two hours? Right? But Paul's saying is this is just common sense. Do it in a way that is orderly and in a way that will build people up. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet. This is my point that I was going to make earlier. 
Now, come on, honestly, you've wanted to say this to somebody. <laughs> you want to whip this out. Let me just quote Paul for you. <laughs> Land the plane or shut up. Yeah, I know you're thinking that about me too. Okay. <laughs> the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. <laughs> like three days of a, of a soul care conference. Right? <laughs> Glenn and I were at a conference this weekend. Yeah, I went from 8 in the morning till 8, eight at night. It was crazy. It was, it was So he's talking about how we do church. Did you realize that God cares about how we do this? I mean, no specific rules about how we set up the chairs, but how we conduct ourselves matter. And now he's going to say something connected to that, even more profound, about subordination. Most of us are subordinate to someone. We don't like them. We resent them for it. We hope bad things happen to them. But we have to be nice and we have to subordinate because we like getting paid. But subordination is not an evil idea. It's part of God's nature. And because it's part of God's nature, it should show up in the church as well. So he says that we have to remember that subordination is a part of the Christian life. And we all participate. There's value for all of us. Now, he's been talking about tongues. Now he's going to switch to this idea of prophecy. Prophecy is better, but there's still rules for prophecy. Two or three prophets should speak. Again, remember, two or three. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, first the speaker should stop. For, all, for, for you all can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. What? Sounds weird. So if you just replace the word teachers for prophets, it helps us a little bit. Simply put, if somebody stands up in, in your life group, or your men's group, or your ladies group, says, hey, the Lord really laid something on my heart, and then they say something. Okay? It's kind of hard to stop them. They're, they're already up and talking. This is, this is why, even though I would, love, I would love for the gift of prophecy to be, if some of you have this gift, I would love for you by the end of the service to actually stand up and, and share something that God's put on your heart about what we're talking about. You know why we don't do it? Because of how awkward it would be for you if I had to shut you down. The Lord's just laid on me that he loves us more than all those pagan heathens who are going to burn in hell. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, no, yeah, actually, no. No. No, he didn't say that. He did. He just told me that. He did not. He, 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 and I don't want to get into that battle with you, but like, sit down. Now, luckily, in our church, there's plenty of you as teachers who would stand up and say, Pastor's right. Sit down. Pastor's right. Sit down. The Bible doesn't say that. Sit down. That's a little awkward. What he's saying here is, maybe you get to teach a little Bible study. That's great. Guess what? It's not your Bible study. You as a teacher are still subject to the control of the, and basically to the other teachers and to the word of God. There's a thing called the, the community of faith, the analogy of faith. All God's people, for years have we've been studying the word of God. There's a lot of things that have been studied and learned. If you come up with something that no one has ever seen before ever, it's sort of suspect. I just think the Lord does this. No, no, he doesn't. Well, he could. No, no, he, he actually couldn't because his character is like this. Guess what? I'm in subordination. I'm in submission. Our other leaders, our elders can say, Mike, come here. We got to talk about this. I'm not sure that this is right. We have other teachers here even when they're not on the board. Men and women who know God's word can say, come here, we got to talk, because that's just not. There's a kind of a vetting of God's word in the teaching. You see, nobody is not under submission to someone. The Savior submits to the Father, and the Spirit submits to the Savior. It's part of who God is. Can't you see the Corinthians? All 
jostling for the highest position? Do you think any of them were eager to be in submission to anyone? And yet every teaching is submitted. I had an idea this week about this. This is a little scary. I don't think it's from God. It's just an idea. Since we're not going to have people stand up and talk right here because of that challenge. You know what? Some of you maybe have the gift of prophecy. Not foretelling the future. But even as you sit and you listen to a sermon and you're thinking about things that I could say that we hadn't or things that apply or applications. And the truth is that it's quite possible that even if now, if you stood up during the application time when we have a kind of a, a, that altar call moment, that time to respond, you could almost come up and say, here's a thought and share something with us that we all go, wow. So, so how about this? If you have one of those thoughts any Sunday, would you email me? Write it down for me. Send it to me. Yes, it'll be vetted. But if you're right on, then you're going to hear it come out in the next Sunday or two or three. Because if God speaks to us, we want to listen. And you know what's really nice about that? I won't tell him who did it. So no ego. When you say, well, I would do that, but you know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, they won't because they don't know. It's you. But you will know. So I invite you to do that. You think the Lord, some of you already do that. Some of you write me, you say, Mike, that was a great sermon. Here's another thought. Here's this. What about that? Such a help. And here we go. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. You notice how he throws that in? You do realize, right, that Crossroads is not the only church in town. And much of what we do, we do it a little different, right? We do this or that, but we're all on the same page. We're all pulling the same way. What does this mean for us? You know, a person can think they're hearing from the Lord, and there's a lot of ways that that can go wrong. Even now, you could think you hear from the Lord when actually it could be a selfish thought. You've got to pick through that. It could even be something that's evil trying to influence us. That's possible. But let's say somebody does hear from the Lord. The Lord really did speak to me. He spoke to you, but maybe you didn't hear him right. Or maybe... He spoke to you and you heard him right, but you didn't really communicate it very well. That's my biggest fear every Sunday. This stuff is good. I just hope I don't mess it up. Or maybe you heard from God and you communicated well, but the person listening misunderstood you. There's so many ways it can go wrong. How do we know? We test it by what's been revealed in God's word. There are teachers and others who help us know what is right. God is orderly, not boring. He's orderly, but not boring. He wants things to bust out. The truth of the matter is, with all of the gifts that are in this room, God wants all of us to exercise the gifts he's given us. And yet when we're together, there is something that's the most important to us. And that's building people up in the gospel. You know, you can share truth. You can share God's truth. And you can even share it well. But the person hearing still has the choice to act or not act. I wonder if there's a way that we're supposed to act or not act this morning. You want to come up? Let's pray. Father God, you have in your mind's eye a picture of what it means for us as the body of Christ to reflect your glory. We've learned about the diversity and the unity that exists in that diversity. We've learned that you can give gifts that we don't all have. There are gifts that we don't understand. And yet, rather than demanding that we understand them, we simply 
follow your guidance about how to execute your will. Lord, if there's anything that we want today, is we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you clearly and know what is it that we should do. Paul has unloaded all this information. What, what is it that we're supposed to do? But before we talk about that, Father, we're going to make sure that we are ready. And so in these next few moments as we worship, we're going to first confirm that we are ready to obey you. We don't even know what you're going to say yet. But if you speak to us and there's an application for us today, in the next few moments, we're going to make you a promise. We will respond. Make it so. So how do we respond today? By the way, we haven't done this before, and I apologize for not doing this. Do you mind, hon, coming up here? Jim, Denise, would you guys mind just being up here with us? Because I can't always talk to everyone. And so they're just getting, other pastors and wives are here. If you want to talk or pray. Sometimes all we're going to say is, why are you here? How can I pray for you? And we can follow up later. It doesn't all have to happen here and now. By the way, I skipped that. Verse 34 and 35. Women should stay silent in the church. Completely skipped that whole passage. Oops. Oopsie. You know what that means. Pastor Jim will cover it next week. <laughs> you know, I, I almost don't want to skip over it. I want you to notice that the context here is, is correcting prophecy publicly. And in that culture, it was improper for a woman to speak up and correct a prophet publicly. Actually, it's not nearly as harsh as that sounds. And by the way, this is Paul who said the women are involved and participate in the ministry. So don't, do not let one little thing throw you up. So here's just some thoughts. We have to prioritize gifts that build up the body. Do you need to be more intentional? Maybe, maybe when you come, it's hard not to pay attention to the fact that whether or not I get used whether or not I'm a blessing and someone told me. Maybe we're challenged. Maybe you're challenged. And you say, I need to be just a little more intentional about not me, but someone else. And if that speaks to you, maybe, maybe that's part of what you have to do today. You're going to come forward, but you say, you know what? Spoke to me. I'd be lying if I said it didn't. I need to make a little change. And if that speaks to you, come on up. Let, let's pray. Another thing Paul has talked about is the challenge, the tension between our thinking and our feeling. Boy, it's easy, isn't it? We think church is supposed to be about our feelings. He says, keep your mind engaged. We obey the scriptures and our feelings follow. Maybe you have been guilty of making it so much more about feelings. And you say, Lord, I'm not sure how good I'm going to be at this, but I want my mind to do the leading. Help me not to struggle. Help me to appeal to the mind of even those that I know that don't know you as their Savior. Feeling, not emotion. There's thinking here. Prioritize, prioritize God at church? Isn't that a given? And yet over and over again, Paul is saying, how we do church reflects Him. How easy is it for a church to get all about our programs, or our buildings, or our personalities, you know, noses, counting noses, counting the money, counting how many seats are in the chairs. Does it occur to us every Sunday? This is about Him. This is about Him. Somebody walks in off the street, they want to, we want them going, who exactly are they talking to? Where is He? We want them to know we expect His presence. That includes submitting to authorities. Not just me, Him and those around you who speak into your life. Well, 
I don't know how God speaks to you today. To have just a moment. But if you need to come and take care of some business, we just give you this moment to make a decision. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've just sung that. You're perfect in all your ways. You've bestowed gifts on your children. And somehow we, we can start leveraging those things for our own glory, for our own comfort. And so we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that church is about us. My church, my seat, my favorite. Lord, if we're going to follow you, if, there's not, if we've learned anything from you, it's that you love others. And so would you renew in us a commitment to being about others and their building up, not our own. Would you cleanse our hearts? Cleanse that motivation. You're so good to us. Teach us what it means to be good to others, to bless them, to build them up, to challenge them, to make a space for them to grow. May we shine as an expression of your character. Lord, I pray that there is not a heart in this room if you have pricked them about making a decision that by sitting in their seat they have somehow abdicated from that decision. They don't, we don't always have to go up front, but we must always respond if you've spoken to us. So if we are convicted, help us to respond with obedience. We ask it in your matchless name because you are a good, good father. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.